Well, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. And as you can tell, this is not Sean. This is Rose. And you and I have shared this time together in the past. And I love it. And I love all of you. So I'm so glad to be here with you. Now, I just want to give you a a little bit of information before I get started on my monologue. And that is this. First of all, I've got a brand new podcast. And guess what? It's making its debut right now. So what you can do is Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcast. What you want to do is search for Rose. You want to search for Rose Unplugged on Spotify, on SoundCloud, and Apple Podcast. And there, listen, if you do the Apple Podcast, you can leave me a five-star review. Why not, right? So check it out and share, please, with everyone. Still, my Facebook is Rose Unplugged, Rumble, Rose Unplugged, Instagram, Rose Unplugged 1, Twitter, Rose Unplugged 2. And of course, there's Sean Hannity's Twitter, and that is at Sean Hannity. Easy as can be, right? We have a great lineup of guests for you today. I want to say first, thank you to Linda, of course, and then Ethan, Katie, and Clay, who are in New York right now, and Justin, who is here with me in Pittsburgh. And by the way, Justin has t- tells me all the time, I used to listen to you when I was a kid. Justin is no longer a kid, and I told him to stop saying that because it makes me feel very old. Very old. But anyway, he's here with me in the Pittsburgh studio. So, Glad to be back here with you all. You know how I feel about you. Coming up today, Richard Manning is on because I want to talk about the Bill of Rights. And then we have Dr. Brian Tyson so we can talk about the vaccine and the Delta variant. There's so much confusion out there. I just want to understand and learn more. And then I called Tom Homan last night and asked him, hey, we got to talk about the border. There is so much going on. And he agreed. So he'll be joining me today. And then we are going to close the show pretty much with Pastor Jack Hibbs, one of my favorite pastors of all time. So that's what we've got planned for you today. So stay with us. All right. But in the meantime, I did want to talk to you a little bit because on today's show, I will be talking a bit about faith, a little bit about COVID, the variants, the vaccines, and then a lot about our freedoms. Because all of these things really are related. And lately, we've witnessed how easily and successfully our rights could be tampered with. Who would have thought that our free speech could ever be restricted to the degree it has? Did you ever think that could happen? And as a result of what's going on, so many are fearful to speak their mind or to stand up for what they believe in. And you know what? That, of course, is the intent of the left, to silence you. And the best way to do that, the very best way, is to control you by fear. And what we've experienced of late, the censorship, the labeling, the shaming because your beliefs or standards are different than those on the left, that has never been experienced before in this nation. And it happened. People, it happened in the blink of an eye. The left effectively brought fear into your lives, immobilizing some of you. And a lot of people became numb as a result. We stopped listening or watching the news. And a lot of us wanted to remove ourselves from all things political. We wanted to be done with it all. Some people even told me they didn't want to vote again. Okay, so what did we do? A lot of people took a break from it all. And maybe we needed that break. Shutting ourselves off, turning everything else off. Maybe we needed to be silent before God to hear what we had to, he had to say and to hear what we needed to do. We needed to be restored so that we could work to restore all that we believe is necessary for freedom to prevail. 
But you know what? Now that we've had that time, we need to wake up. We need to wake up and say, I am back. I am back and I will use all that I have and all that I am to stand for what I believe in, for the love of country. We had to wake from that slumber because there is so much work yet for us to do, probably more than ever, actually. We have to keep our hearts fixed on those things that we know to be true. Keep them fixed on the hope that we have for the future of this great nation. What we want is godly. What we want when we say we don't want our tax dollars going to abortions, that is godly. When we say we want to save the republic, that is godly. When we say we want to preserve the Constitution and our rights, that is godly. Because that republic and the document that supports that republic, the greatest document ever drafted, both are based on the idea that we should live free. It's the idea that we have to be free in order to pursue our dreams, in order to pursue our happiness and our future. So that document, that document was established on godly principles. With the understanding, though, that the author of liberty, of all liberty, is God and God alone. And that is how I believe we merge our faith in God with our faith in the Republic. And when we stand on our godly principles, then we are on the right side. When we say we stand for life, that is right. When we say we stand for the Bill of Rights, that is right. You need to think about, and so do I, where we put our confidence. Where does our heart need to be fixed? And it must be fixed on those things that preserve life on those things that give liberty. I know this audience, you've all responded to me by phone calls, emails, every time I've done the show for Hannity. You are that person that wakes up every single day with a purpose. You cannot be swayed. You have strong convictions that you must stand on, that you must walk in. Walk in your purpose, stay centered. We have got to live with confidence in the midst of all of this craziness. I mean, admit it, we stand around scratching our heads. What the hell's going on? We must hold our ground and be committed to one another and to make an impact wherever we can. Make an impact in the schools, in your communities, in our nation. It is the right thing to do. And you know, when we do this, We are actually mimicking what our founding fathers did. And what they did, they did with the concern in love for future generations. So yeah, hold your ground. Make your impact. As we go forward, we need to recognize that this country was founded on godly principles by godly men for the purpose of living their lives in a way that they saw fit. Making their own decisions for their own lives and not having those decisions mandated to them or, as we have seen, dictated to them by a tyrannical ruler in some states. I know who you are in this audience. You understand all of that. You know that it's not a coincidence that you are here and that you have got a purpose for this time, a purpose to do what you can to protect our rights, those God-given rights, 
You understand it well enough that those items and that First Amendment were first because they were that important. And we're going to be talking about that today. And you know what? Now that I think about it, our children need a history lesson. They really do, don't they? They don't understand their rights. They don't even understand the importance of those rights. So then is it any wonder that there are no objections when those social media platforms that they're all addicted to censor or silence others? No objections. Because they don't realize that someday it could be they who will also be silenced. They who could also be censored. We are facing an opportunity of a lifetime right now. It's not the first time. All throughout our history, there have been huge challenges, huge opportunities. Some of the challenges seemed insurmountable. But faith has gotten us through some of the most difficult times that we've faced in our nation's history. And, you know, our freedoms, those freedoms that I think we took for granted, that we thought we could never lose, those freedoms didn't come easy. And they didn't come cheaply. You know, Thomas Paine said it was dearness only that gives everything its value. And when you think about it, what do you value most to leave as an inheritance? It should be freedom. So we're going to talk more about this and the Bill of Rights. And we're going to talk about COVID later on and the new variant, the Delta variant. And we're also going to talk to Pastor Jack Hibbs and Tom Homan. So stay with me. You're listening to Rose Unplugged, sitting in for Sean Hannity. Check me out, my new podcast, right now on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple, Apple Podcasts. We'll be right back. Well, I guess I don't have to tell you all what the phone number is because it looks like all the lines are lit up. But just in case, it is 800-941-SEAN, 1-800-941-SEAN, or 941-7326. So I am Rose, Rose Unplugged, and I am pleased to be sitting in for Sean Hannity. I'll get to your calls in just a little while. But, you know, I was talking about our freedoms and, and how they were laid out for us in the Bill of Rights. And the most important, of course, is the First Amendment freedoms. And, you know, there was an argument that the Second Amendment should be the first. And the reasoning behind that was that without the second, the first would be meaningless. But ultimately, obviously, they decided that the five freedoms of the First Amendment should light the way for the rest. Freedom of religion, speech, press, the right to assemble, and the right to petition government for the redress of grievances. They are simple ideas, but guess what? Those simple ideas shook the world to its foundations. Those five freedoms did something that no other government ever even dared to try. You know what they did? Those freedoms placed all power in the hands of the individual. And the only reason, if you think about it, the only reason that we were able to do that was because there was no entrenched bureaucracy here to stop them. Think about it. But guess what? We have that bureaucracy now. And if we give them up, those freedoms, for a test run of socialism, we will never get them back. It was once accepted that the Constitution was the greatest political document ever written. And the proof of that, the proof, think about it, is that no other country has ever adopted it. None. And why do you think that is? Because no other government would agree to give up that much power. And sadly, if you walk down any street in America right now, I would bet that you will find that almost no one 
can tell you what those five freedoms are. Because no one thought it was important to educate our children. This is America's owner's manual, people. And if you don't know what you have, you're not going to miss it when it's gone. And I talked earlier in the monologue about, you know, how we're not educating our children and and they don't even realize they're not objecting. People aren't objecting to the censorship that they see on social media platforms. And yet they too someday can expect to be censored. Believe it. The power that that document has vested in the individual is a concept that the ruling classes have hated since before the ink was dry on the Constitution. Because you know what? It leaves them out. And the amazing success of this American experiment only makes them hate it more. Because, you know, it exposes the irrelevance of those who want power over us. And they have worked for two centuries diligently to claw and grab that power back. And their efforts in politics, academia, media, and law have paid off. Because we're at a tipping point right now, and I know that you know that. The red lights are flashing, my friends. This American experiment that lit the world is close to being extinguished. And we've got a government that outsources their tyranny to social media. The indoctrinated rather than educated stand on the sidelines and they cheer censorship. Emotion has replaced thought. Cancel culture has replaced debate. And that is so very sad. You know, trigger warnings of these microaggressions protect the ill-educated from hurtful ideas. And they're told that speech that they disagree with is violent. And they respond with violence, and then they feel justified in doing so. You know, when we lose freedom of speech, we lose the most important tool of self-governance and debate. That whole marketplace of ideas, it will no longer be necessary. It won't if the government is flipped on its head and all the decisions will be be made by an executive state. And guess what? That executive state cares very little for what you think and what I think. That is the frightening reality. And I'll tell you another thing that's frightening. 2022 is America's last chance. And we're going to talk more about the Bill of Rights coming up at the half hour, after the half hour break with Richard Manning. And I just I think it's important that we just remind ourselves how important it is, how why those freedoms were number one when they were drafting that Bill of Rights. We've got to share that with our children. We have to share it with others. And what we have here was such a gift, this American experiment. Such a gift, such a blessing. I just, I don't know that we have handled that blessing, that gift properly, carefully, lovingly. And that's what we've got to do. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. And I am Rose, and I enjoy sitting in for Sean, and I adore his audience. So glad to be back. And today, uh, joining me to discuss the founding documents and the protections and liberties that are provided by those documents for the American people is the president of Americans for a Limited Government, Richard Manning. How are you, Richard? I'm doing great, Rose. How are you? 
Good. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate that. You know, I just think it's really important, especially right now, that we discuss a little bit of the history and why we have the Bill of Rights. And let me ask you something. Um, A lot of the people that were involved in drafting the Constitution um, in Philadelphia, in that little hall that was, you know, hot and muggy and sticky and dirty and all of that, right? They were in there for months and months and months as they were drafting the Constitution. And a lot of people at that time, a lot of those involved, I understand, wanted to draft a Bill of Rights immediately. But, I mean, I'll give it to them. They were tired. They wanted to get back home. You know, the conditions were not the most comfortable. And so we didn't get an agreement on that Bill of Rights until two years later. And then two years after that, they were ratified. Is that how you see that? I mean, because you wonder, why didn't they just go ahead and do that during the drafting of the Constitution? Well, I think one of the things is a, a lot of people who are drafting the Constitution assumed that the Bill of Rights were, infer- were inferred, that they were, in fact, okay. inviolable, and it was absurd to have to include them. Um, but people like George Mason uh, from Virginia was insistent that setting up a government that was simply a balance of powers, that what the Madison document is, is a balance mm-hmm. of powers to try to protect minority rights uh, while allowing the majority to to move the government forward and move policy forward, that that without protecting the individual rights um, through a Bill of Rights, laying out specific uh, freedoms that are God-given based upon the Declaration of Independence, Declaration that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That Bill of Rights was nailing in stone what those rights were. And as in doing that, they were able to then ratify the Constitution because people then knew that this they weren't setting up a government that was going to be all-powerful from Washington, D.C. Instead, they were setting up a government that was governing by the consent of the governed. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And that's exactly right. And when you think about and there was, I know, a lot of exchanges between Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. And I, I, I recall, I, I think Jefferson had said to Madison something about how, you know, we who have drafted this um, are educated in republicanism. But there is still that there are others that were still educated in royalism. And that that was always the concern, I think, because when you were so accustomed to a monarch or to a dictator, you know, uh, uh, in this case, he was very much the tyrant as well, George III. But when you were accustomed to that, you really knew no other type of government, form of government. You really knew no other type of life. I think one of the things people today um, take for granted and don't fully appreciate is what a radical document this was. Yes. This was truly an experiment that had been tried nowhere else in the world. Right. Setting up a government that was a government of the people, by the people, for the people, to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, the setting up a government that was not a ruler over the people, but which the people were the rulers over the government. That was unheard of. It was un- unfathomable. This was such a radical break with every other concept of government over the whole course of history that it was 
they had they were geniuses in coming up with a process that recognized that too much power in any one person's hands was dangerous and so they broke the power up through the very through the various branches of government three branches right. of government and then in the house and the senate and congress they brought they split the power in half between the house and the senate and in doing so they ensured that you would be able to that yes if something needed to be done it could get done but People who were against it had an opportunity to amend it, had an opportunity to change it, had an opportunity to stop it. And in doing so, that's the genius of why this country's lasted over 240 years, is because of that balance of power with the underlying protections of individual liberties that have expanded over the the last 242 years. The, the, The protections of the individual liberties and an assumption and the states having their own sets of freedoms from right. the fed and, and jobs from the federal government and it was all devised so they would not have a king at the top a dictator at the top someone who was all powerful and was imposing their will on the rest of america on the rest of the people it was devised that way it was a ge- it's a genius document it is genius and we need to understand and hopefully people will understand that it not only was genius this was radical. It was it was insanely radical. And to come up with this, to be smart enough to figure out this this complex problem and give us a government that for all of its faults works and is exactly. thrived for two has allowed this country to thrive for over two hundred and forty years. That's the genius we should be celebrating. But instead, many in America, many in Congress today want to tear that government down, want to tear that constitution down and view that constitution as, a, as an evil document because it takes their power away. Yes. Uh, it takes their power away. Yes. You know, and when you talk about that, we had, look, the opportunity that our founding fathers had after they uh, drafted that wonderful constitution, uh, it, what was it, 1987? So, am yeah. I right? My math? Okay, I'm trying. I'm, uh, 11 years after the Declaration of Independence. 1787. Yes. Okay, so in 1787. What an opportunity. That is an opportunity that doesn't come around very often. And it was, I think, I think it was providential, in fact, that we had an opportunity when we were developing, we were founding this brand new nation. We had an opportunity to do something for the people of that nation for years to come that rarely comes around. That was that was an amazing opportunity. And they did right by us. They did right by us. And there and, and the fact that they had to, you know, go back and forth for a few years over it. And we had the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. But the fact that they did that, they were able to establish that for us, for people they would never know. For you and I right now, Richard, they did that for us. And I am just amazed. I feel that we were lucky. I feel like, whew, wow, I'm glad that happened. But in the meantime, though, as you said, now we are seeing it being just chipped away at because, and there's a reason why no other governments have a constitution like ours, because in doing so would mean that they would lose their power. And there's no way in the world they would ever do that. But if we give any yeah. of these up right now, we never get them back. We never what? get these back. That was a once in a lifetime opportunity for this nation. 
100%. And once again, I want to go back to the DNA of our country, which is in the Declaration of Independence. And, and I, if, if people don't remember any words, remember these 56 words. The second, first is part of the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those 56 words from signed on a document by 56 men, which was treason. Yes. It's the DNA of this country. Yes. It's the DNA of this country. And those who want to deny those 56 words and are, are those who are embracing the concept that we work for the government. Our tax dollars, the, you know, the, the average person who pays taxes, it's the government's money, and it's amazing how much money they'll allow us to keep. Okay, and they're being generous by allowing us to keep some of our money that we work. How nice for. of them! Thank you very much. These, yeah, yeah. The, these fifty-six people stood up and said, "That's not the government that we're going to create." And the question is, are we going to be willing to do what's necessary to keep it? I will tell you today. I was down at the D.C. jail. And I was with Louis Gohmert, Representative Louis Gohmert, Representative Matt Gates, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Representative Bob Good from Virginia. And they were there trying to find out what was going on inside the D.C. jail related to the January 6th prisoners. They weren't trying to take they weren't trying to you know deal with individual cases. They were just trying to check on living conditions and the like and find out what was going on. The D.C. jail literally locked them out of the building. Oh, um, and. You know, we are in a position right now where if the January 6th protesters, the January 6th prisoners are not allowed basic due process rights, then nobody has basic due process rights. And the disappointment was is that there are only four members of Congress there, and there weren't 435 members of Congress there. Because every single member of that of Congress has sworn an oath to the Constitution, has sworn an oath to the American system of justice that says that we're innocent until proven guilty. And in not demanding that that standard, that basic standard be met, they are betraying the very essence of our country. And I'm not you know, saying whether or not th- those people should be released. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying they have due process rights, and to deny them those rights because of political reasons is, a, is an affront to our basic constitutional liberties and is wrong. And those four members, and Paul Gosar also, because he's been doing this also, those four members I mentioned need to be thanked by America because they had the guts to be there and shine a light on what was going on. And that, without shining that light, no due process and no justice will be served. Listen, let's go ahead to Ken, who is calling from Illinois. Hey, Ken, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Best intro I've heard ever, I think, today, and your show's been great. I wanted to just add, um, number one, thank you for for everything you're saying and doing. We, As an instructor at a private university, I've seen this. It's infiltrating the education, and we really need to get people activated, engaged. So, um... All right. Uh, let's see. We're going to also talk to Chris from New York. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, Rose, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Pleasure to speak with you. Um, Thank you. I uh, head with a few things. First, uh, 
I just want to speak about like this whole reinstating the mask mandate. I uh, 29 years old. I didn't get vaccinated. I got COVID. I survived COVID. Uh, I don't. I, I I don't have any judgment on those people in a negative way for those who want to get vaccinated. I think it's their body and it's their choice, and they have the right to. And I truly believe that per, the person that doesn't want to get it should have the right not to. Get it. Yeah, I think you, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, We are actually going to be talking about the vaccine, the variants, the mask wearing. I mean, even the CDC seems a bit confused. So, and I think that then makes the rest of us confused. And I think all we really want, all we really want is transparency. All we really want are the facts. And uh, there seems to be a lot of confusion. And, you know, even, you know, once they revealed uh, Fauci's emails, if you remember, he was he was writing someone in one email telling them that the mask don't work. He told us initially, don't wear them. Then we were, and then two, then three. I just think there's so much confusion out there. And I always like to try to get uh, more information so that I can make a better decision for myself. And I think that um, it is incumbent upon all of us to um, assess our risks and to make that decision um, for ourselves. I don't think, uh, personally, I don't think things should be mandated. Um, uh, But I also feel that, uh, you know, if you're sick, don't go out. And if you're worried, wear the mask. I I mean, absolutely. You could, I think even when they took away the mask mandates in many places that there were people still wearing a mask and I, uh, I feel fine with that. That's good. That I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, The phone number is uh, 800-941-SEAN. Coming up next is Brian Tyson, and we are going to talk about these things that we just discussed right now, Um, the variants, the mask wearing, the efficacy of the vaccines. How are people who were vaccinated? um, I have a story of someone who was in Europe and can't get back in because even though they were vaccinated so they could go to Europe, they can't get back in because they have COVID. So I want the answers to these questions, and we'll do that coming up next on the Sean Hannity Show. And this is Rose Unplugged. Hey, welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. My name is Rose. Check me out if you will, please. I just started a podcast. Okay, you are the first really, you're the first to know this. So the podcast is Rose Unplugged, and you can find it on Spotify. SoundCloud and Apple Podcast. If on uh, Apple Podcast you don't see it right away, it will be up very shortly. And wherever you can, leave a good review if you don't mind. And right now you can actually get it on my website too. It's Rose Unplugged. So everything, Facebook, website, um, Rumble. Oh, I love Rumble because I have been censored on Facebook. I've been dropped from YouTube for saying nothing. I said nothing wrong. I talked about vaccines. I never tell you what to do, but I ask a lot of questions on your behalf. So anyway, Rumble is where you can find Rose Unplugged. So what you want to do is search under channels and it's Rose Unplugged. So, okay. Today, I have asked a doctor to join us. Uh, he is board certified in family medicine and 14 years experience in the ER. His hospital and medical experience has been with um, all Valley Urgent Care in El Centro, California, and he's treated thousands of COVID patients with therapeutics and medicines that actually work. So we're going to talk to him today. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Brian Tyson. Hi, Dr. Tyson. How are you? Good, good, Rose. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing well. Thank you. There is so much to talk about. See, the reason why I ask questions is because there doesn't seem to be enough transparency or or sometimes we get the feeling we're being lied to because there's so much confusion. For example, the latest CDC, um, they had studies that were pushing for a shift in mask guidance, um, and yet those the studies were not made available. And, you know, it's, it's no wonder that they refused to supply the data to the Senate because really there isn't any. And so when you hear things like this, and people get confused, doctor. So let's start Let's start with the Delta variant, because a lot of people are confused by what this actually is, um, who's getting it. I told the audience right before I went to break that um, someone that I know was left in Europe and isn't allowed to return because they tested positive before they got on the plane, so they couldn't come back. And yet that person was vaccinated for that very reason, so that they could travel. So when we hear about cases um, that that those who have been vaccinated now are testing positive. What does that tell you? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and, and the CDC is not being upfront with the American people. And, and I think what, I, what I'd like to do is kind of just let's take a look at what vaccines are to begin with. <clears throat> when you look at a vaccine, you have to decide, is this vaccine a sterile vaccine or a non-sterile vaccine? Sterile vaccines prevent you from getting the disease and give you the lifelong immunity, such as uh, polio, for example, or smallpox, for example. Okay. Then you have your non-sterile vaccines, which these vaccines are like the influenza vaccine that you get every year. You get it to prevent you from getting a serious form of the disease. Okay. But yet you can still contract the disease and you can still spread the disease. Well, the CDC and Pfizer and the NIH first came out and basically said that this vaccine was going to prevent everybody from getting infected. It was going to prevent hospitalizations. You know, uh, Joe Biden said the other day, if you get this vaccine, you're not going to die from COVID. You're not going to be hospitalized. And, and that's just not true. We're finding out that this, quote, Delta variant uh, is, is highly resistant to the vaccine. And it's, this vaccine is not a sterile vaccine. So, so that's to, to begin with. They, they need to be up front and they need to tell everybody, no, yes, you can still get COVID-19. You can still spread COVID-19. And yes, patients are still ending up in the hospital and patients are still dying, even though they're vaccinated. So, I mean, I think... I think what you just said is is key because people just want to know the facts. I mean, I know that's what I want. If I'm going to make a decision for my life and what I want to do for me, then I want all of the facts. If you tell me that this non-sterile vaccine um, will keep me from perhaps getting a more serious uh, reaction to the disease, but it could still, I could still contract the disease. Okay. But at least I know what I'm doing when I go in to get the vaccine. And, 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 I, and I think that most people feel that way. We there's so many conflicting uh, opinions and 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 studies supposedly and you know on how effective the vaccine is how effective mask wearing is that I think people have a fatigue right now and rather than turn everyone off let's just get some honesty out there let's have some facts that we can rely on but we don't really feel that anyone has been entirely entirely con, um, transparent with us. And, and that's true, because informed consent has gone out the window. Yes. You know, informed consent, when, when you go in to get a procedure, 
your doctor or provider is supposed to go through all the risks and benefits of that procedure. Right. Well, vaccination is no different. If, if, you, if, if I present the, the data to you and I say, okay, this vaccine is going to help you maybe prevent COVID, maybe prevent death, we do see some um, that it is, it is efficacious in the elderly and maybe in those who have comorbidities. We're not seeing the benefit in the kids under 18, and we are seeing complications with myocarditis and pericarditis that maybe now we can decide as parents or as patients to say, you know what, I'm willing to take the risk and, 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 and worry if I get the disease. I know there's early treatment. Or, you know what, maybe my risk factors are so high that I want the vaccine to get that extra protection. I think the, the problem is, is the government is not allowing us as American people or us as providers to make our own informed decisions uh, based on the information that we're given. And we're not being given the information, and that's what's leading to all of this pushback uh, regarding vaccines. Yeah, and I even feel for, you know, for those who have been vaccinated, if they went in to, to receive that vaccination, believing that they wouldn't get COVID, see, even with that, there wasn't enough information. And then surprise, surprise, I know one person who knows three people, one who, even after they had the vaccine, did contract, um, I don't know if it was the Delta variant, and I don't even know how you, they make the distinction. I'll ask, I'll ask you that in a minute. Uh, another who was hospitalized, but back home, and another who just got mildly ill. Um, all three of them had been vaccinized, uh, vaccinated, and and this is one person who knows at least three people in that situation. Here's the thing that that concerns me is even those getting a vaccine aren't being told the absolute truth. And then when you consider that there are therapeutics and there are medicines that work, I just wonder, I know that you've treated thousands of patients and you've treated them uh, successfully using therapeutics and other medicines that work. And I feel like sometimes that when we hear, all we hear are negatives about um, oxychloroquine, uh, hydroxychloroquine, I'm sorry, and others, we hear so many negative things. It's almost like they want to shut all the exits. It's like, no, 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 don't use any of these. We're going we're gonna to tell you these are all so awful. And they want to almost shut all the exits down for anyone who may want to go that route and, and can't even make that decision to go that route. So when we talk about therapeutics, there are many that actually do work. That's correct. And I think that that's part of the, the red flags that are going up with a lot of the intelligent uh, American people. You know, we, we, we're asking these questions and we're not getting the answers. Why have there been no safety studies on these vaccines to publish to date? We've had right. this vaccine for eight months. They're supposed to do their six-month uh, safety evaluations and, and submit that to the FDA. Where are those studies? You know, the various reports out there, there's clearly there's problems with this vaccine and none of it's been published. They don't want to verify it. When you look at early treatment, there's multiple, multiple studies, hundreds of studies on hydroxychloroquine, hundreds of studies on ivermectin. We yes. published protocols. Uh, Peter McCullough's protocol is the most downloaded protocol uh, in the world uh, that we helped write uh, that shows how to treat uh, COVID-19 as an outpatient. We've been treating COVID-19 as an outpatient since the beginning. Early treatment, we've had a 100% success rate. Why are we not spending, you know, a billion dollars in setting up, uh, you know, basically fever clinics across the United States that are using the same protocols that I've been using to help treat patients early in the disease when they test positive? I, I don't understand it. Instead, we're trying to treat a disease with the vaccine. 
Vaccines do not treat disease. Let me repeat. Vaccines do not treat disease. And, and we are in the middle of a pandemic. We've been in the middle of a pandemic, now coming to the end of it. And the only treatment available seems to be a vaccine. That's not a treatment. It's supposed to be preventative. Right. Right. And, and, and that, may, that I, I, it makes you, it begs the question, were there many who died that perhaps didn't have to if uh, those uh, medicines were made available? And then when you see that the FDA is now criticizing um, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, you know, you, you just, it does feel as though they're sealing off all exits and they're not giving it, us it does, because, because when you think about it, you know, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are two of the safest drugs in the world. Okay, ivermectin got a Nobel Peace Prize in 1985, uh, I think, or 89, um, and it was put on the WHO's list of, of essential medicines of the world. When you look at the safety profile, I think only two people have been reported to overdose on ivermectin. Two. Compare wow. that to Tylenol, which is like over 700 a year. Wow. We're talking about completely safe drugs, but yet, but yet, Nobody says anything about the use of Zithromax off-label, doxycycline off-label, dexamethasone off-label. How about all of the EUA drugs, remdesivir off-label, monoclonal off-label, convalescent plasma off-label? That's okay to use those drugs off-label, but it's not okay to use safe drugs off-label. And that's what's driving Americans and doctors crazy. How is it you can use one drug off-label, but you can't use others? These mm. are FDA-approved. These aren't even under the emergency use authorization. These are FDA-approved. The safety profiles are known. Hydroxychloroquine has been around for 400 years for the treatment of malaria. Think about that. But yet, you... we can't use it. Why? But if you have lupus, I can use it. If you right. have rheumatoid arthritis, arthritis you yep. can use it. Hydroxychloroquine, yes, malaria, is used for that. I can treat it. If you, if you are two months old and you have malaria, you can use it. If you're pregnant and you have malaria, you can use it. But if you have COVID-19, you can't. Why wow. is that? I don't know. I really don't know. And you are so, I can hear the passion in your voice. And that is because you are in this to save lives. That's what you do. And that's the frustration that you face in so many other doctors as well. And I appreciate everything you've done. Let me ask you this. Governor Newsom said that unvaccinated people um, are responsible. They're, they are so irresponsible. He compared them to drunk drivers getting behind the wheel. Are unvaccinated people responsible for the, um, the cases that you see now, particularly the Delta variant? Um, and that's, that's an absolute absurd statement. So number one, the number one problem with that statement is the entire government has absolutely ignored natural immunity. Okay? Those of us, including myself, who have had COVID, have a 700 times more immune response to the Delta variant than anyone else vaccinated. Wow. So they're ignoring all of us who have antibodies and proven immunity. Yes, okay. exactly. So, right. So that, that in itself is a false statement. Number two, the vaccines that are going on right now are driving the variant. How so? Yeah, when how put, so? Yes. How, right? So when you put pressure on a, on a virus, 
to basically eliminate or eradicate it. It's kind of almost like antibiotics and antibiotic resistance. Okay. The more pressure you put on the virus to eliminate it, the more you're forcing it to mutate. Okay? Here's the difference. Natural immunity, we make an immune response not only to the spike protein, but also the cell wall and the nucleocapsid. Okay? With these vaccines, they're only vaccinating the, the antibody responses only to the spike protein. So if that spike protein mutates just enough, it could be 2% to 4%, then it will evade the vaccine. And that's wow. what's happening. If you look at what's going on with all of these variants, they all popped up right around the, the time we started vaccinating people. That's not, quote, a bad thing in some sense, but it is because we're creating different forms of the virus, this Delta variant seems to be a milder form. But what happens, you know, four months from now, if it mutates again to a more severe form? In, in our urgent care right now, we're seeing three out of every seven uh, patients with COVID have been fully vaccinated. That's almost 50%. Wow, that's so not bad. Right that's now, not bad. Yeah. The, the vaccine is being evaded. Okay, so very interesting. I wish I had even more time to spend with you. We're talking to board certified in family medicine and 14 years experience in the ER, Dr. Brian Tyson. Thank you for all of the lives that you've saved, Dr. Tyson. And uh, thank you for bringing your knowledge to the show today. I appreciate you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Rose. Check out my podcast, Rose Unplugged. You can find it at roseunplugged.com on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. I've asked one of my favorite people because he is so passionate, and I just, I love this guy. He is a former ICE director. He is joining us to discuss the growing threat at the border, which the Biden administration is ignoring, and allowing unscreened migrants to enter the nation, be transported all over the country. And now we're finding out, like in South Texas, many of them have COVID and they have not even alerted the authorities. Please welcome to the show, Tom Homan. How are you, Tom? Doing fine. Appreciate you having me. Oh, I love having you on. Okay, so let's talk about this. There is a growing threat at the border. It because it, you know it's it's not like it's gotten any better since the last time I talked to you. It continues to get worse. And when we talk about a humanitarian crisis, how can we deny that when you know that the fentanyl seizures have spiked in June alone, and that um, we're seeing all of these people coming in, if they're being tested for the virus and testing positive, they don't tell authorities. They've been putting them in hotels in different parts of the country. Um, people are getting sick. There's no, I, I just, I, I'm out of my mind with this. What are we doing about this? And still, where is this administration? This administration ain't doing anything about it. Let's be clear, the administration isn't testing anybody for COVID. They're relying on you know, the local communities when they release them to the local communities. So the only place that the, uh, the U.S. government, the Border Patrol, is testing for COVID, is they have a small contact in Del Rio. And the reason they're doing it in Del Rio is because there's no NGOs or community groups willing to do it. So the 99% of the border is that these people are coming across, and Border Patrol is not testing them at all. The White House said today, well, we have protocol in place. Everybody gets a mask. It doesn't matter if they get a mask. They already have COVID. That's so right. So we know back right now, ICE has over 20, uh, uh, 1,200 positive COVID cases in custody that came across that border. We know a lot of these NGOs that they've given contracts to for half a billion dollars to put these people in hotel rooms are overrun with COVID. We know for a fact they have released hundreds 
of COVID people into the country or buying them a bus ticket or a pound ticket. We, we, we know that. We've seen it. The sheriffs and the mayors are speaking out about what they're seeing down there. And here's the big issue that no one's talking about. We know there's the approximate number right now is 300,000. Border Patrol's number is 300,000 gotaways based on center traffic, drone traffic, camera traffic. 300,000 people they couldn't catch because they're so tied up these family units have to board from ages and long line. How about those 300,000 gotaways? How many of them have COVID? How many of them are criminals? How many of them are gang members? How many of them could possibly be terrorists? Because we know they've arrested six or seven people on the terrorist watch list. How many terrorists got through? I mean, this is... This is not only a humanitarian crisis. This is a national security crisis at epic proportions, something I haven't seen in my 34-, 5-year career. I've never seen it this bad, but even close. I believe, I believe you. And now we hear that, I mean, this is just getting so out of hand. For example, uh, Delta, American, United Airlines, they are providing migrants, many of them coming from Africa, free flights to the United States. They aren't wearing masks. They We don't know that they're vaccinated. We don't know if they're sick. They're getting free airline tickets. But guess what? We, the taxpayer, are picking up the bill. Nobody's paying for me to do any of my travel. I don't know when the madness is going to stop. And you know what? I think the only time it's going to stop is when the left start stops running this country. I mean, these usually asylum seekers from Africa would have to, you know, they'd buy a boat or a plane ticket to South America. Then they'd travel by foot through Colombia, Panama, to get to the United States. Now, we, you and I, and the rest of the taxpayers made it very easy for them. They can get a free ticket on a commercial air flight and come on into the country. Come on in. And then where do they go? Where are they going? Well, not just that. The, the alien smuggling organization, who celebrated when President Biden became president, because they knew through his campaign promises he was going to open a board and they'd be back in business. President Trump pretty much put him out of business. But look, Criminal organization in Mexico, they only have to get them to the border now. They don't have to get them to Chicago, New York, or any other place because the U.S. government is going to do it for them. If they get to the border, cross that border, and the rest of our border, so you're right. The U.S. taxpayers are going to buy them a plane ticket, and they don't have to show ID when they get go in the border. No, they don't. Yeah. But we're going to buy them a plane ticket or a bus ticket. I was down in Del Rio a couple weeks ago, and I left Del Rio. I was going back to Dallas to connect the flight to D.C. There's over 20 family units on my plane. I've seen every one of them come out with their manila envelope, their government-paid uh, airline ticket, compliments of the taxpayers. And not only that, they're carrying a brand-new smartphone, compliments of the U.S. taxpayer. Wow. Wow. And yet, and I know that many, like the Catholic Charities, they've helped more than 700 people who've crossed the border. Um, they passed them through those hotels in Southern California. We've got that happening in Southern Texas as well, um, before they take off on those commercial flights. And then they resettle into the interior here. And uh, again, but any testing done? Any, you know, do we know who they are? Oh, yeah. Okay. They're, they're released without a court date. As though, do we expect that they'll show up for that court date? Are they going <laughs> to, we don't even know where they are. People need to understand the Biden administration has this data. Remember, he was vice president in 2016, 2015, 2015, when we had the border crisis, family crisis. And, and Alejandro Mayorkas was the deputy secretary. They know the data has been clear in the last decade, every year. The data is clear. That, that almost 90% of Central Americans who come to our border and claim asylum never get relief from the U.S. government. They either don't show up in court or they simply don't qualify. Nine out of ten. And the other data point that people need to be realized is that, say that nine out of ten lose their case to get order removed by an immigration judge. Less than 3% leave. President Trump recognized that and said, look, if 90% don't qualify, less than 3% leave, 
Why the hell we let them in? Let's do the Remain in Mexico program. The Biden administration has the same data. They don't care. This is about open borders. And, and one thing that's astonishing me, I still can't believe every day I wake up, under the Biden administration, an ICE officer, an immigration officer, can no longer arrest somebody in this country for being here illegally. Being yeah. illegally is not enough anymore. That's not a priority anymore. You have to go commit a serious offense and be convicted of it. You can be an MS-13 gang member, rape a child, get booked in a, you know, uh, 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 a jail, and if you're lucky enough to make bond, ICE can't touch you, ICE can't arrest you, ICE can't even put you in removal proceedings, even though you're in the country illegally, even though you have a final order, even though you've uh, you, 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 uh, been arrested for raping a child. ICE cannot touch you. That's where we're at as a nation under President Biden. So... I mean, we can't really expect anything different, can we, in the next, what, almost three years? No, it, you know, it, it's terrible. So that's why I'm involved. I'm involved with the Florida lawsuits by administration. I'm involved with several Texas lawsuits. I'm involved with the Arizona lawsuit. We're suing the hell out of them because, you know, we can't wait to take Congress. We can't back. wait. We can't wait for the election because they're, they're doing too much damage too fast. They came with an agenda. They're not apologetic, and they're moving forward. They haven't done one thing. With all the attention on the border and the people dying, the COVID cases, the criminals, the 300,000 gotaways, you can't name one thing the Biden administration has done, one step they've taken to slow the flow. They're not. They're bragging right now. President, uh, President uh, Biden was on TV last week when he was asked a question at CNN Town Hall about this. Is well, we've been real successful because used to be a lot of kids in Border Patrol custody. We got that down over 90%. We're doing really good with it. He's bragging about releasing people quicker. And that's what it's about. They're spending all the resources and processing these people quickly so they can get them out of custody. So there's no backup in Border Patrol facilities. So it looks like there's nothing to see here. Bring your cameras in. No backup here. He, so he thinks that's a success. What he doesn't wow. realize, it's not a success. That, that, is a, that is a terrible, terrible loss. Why? Because the rest of the world sees that. They're saying, okay, let's go to the United States. Put the attention. They're releasing within 24 hours. If they think it's success, I think it's another enticement. Well, you know, and, and let me also say this, too, um, just to remind the listeners that in the meantime, while we're permitting all of this to go on, free access and so forth, Cubans that are fleeing persecution because they, they're living under a communist dictator are, are the exception. They're the only ones who can't come in. Can you believe this? No, you know, that's really a tragedy because, you know, it is. asylum, by definition, under statute, I mean, the statute of Immigration Nationality Act says, Asylum is about escaping fear and persecution from your home government because your race, religion, or political affiliation. The people trying to get uh, with Cuba, they actually are escaping fear and persecution by definition of the law. The people in Central America that I just explained to you, 90% of them don't even qualify. But we're going to let them keep coming in, knowing they don't qualify, knowing they don't leave when they get ordered by the immigration judge. Meanwhile, the Cuban people are there asking for help, and this administration has turned their backs on them. And the Secretary of Homeland Security is in Cuba. He should understand more than anybody. Exactly. That's what's so confusing. It's dumbfounding. It really is. When you say you have lawsuits in Florida and other places, what what are those about? Uh, you broke up. I didn't, I, oh, I was asking about the lawsuits you mentioned earlier. You said you were involved. Again. I'm sorry, Rose. 
Uh, that's okay. Yeah, I think we have a bad connection. But you were talking about um, some lawsuits that you were involved in in. Oh yeah, Florida we're doing. I've been involved in Florida, involved in Arizona, Texas. But like one of the lawsuits, one of the first lawsuits we filed, I was I was one of the expert witness with the moratorium. We sued on that. We got it. We we stopped the president Biden from doing the moratorium on deportations. I've another lawsuit pending right now is on the ICE priorities. Even though 91% of everybody ICE arrests is convicted criminals, the Biden administration came in and so said that wasn't good enough. They, out of the 91% they arrested that were criminal aliens, I'm talking criminals, you're in league that committed a crime, convicted of a crime, they took 90% of them off the table. What, what, the, the, what Biden administration don't consider is a crime important enough to deport. So if you walk out of your studio tonight and you get beat up by somebody here illegally, that's not an ICE priority. If you steal a car, not an ICE priority. If you uh, commit DUI 20 times, not an ICE priority. If you beat your wife or husband up, not a priority. The Biden administration came and said, all these crimes now don't matter. you got to be convicted of a serious aggravated felony like murder or rape to be dealt with. So, so the statute clearly says that if you're in the country illegally and you, you commit a crime of involving moral turpitude, that you are to be detained. If you have a final order, you are to be detained. If you have any drug offense, you are to be detained. And guess what? The administration is ignoring the law. We're suing. We're saying not only are they ignoring the law, they're breaking the law. And we're going to win that lawsuit. I believe you will. All right. We are talking to Tom Homan. Thank you for all that you do. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate that. Take care. Are you saying thanks for having me? Keep up the thanks, fight. We need people like you to spread the word to American people. And you too. And you too. You're listening to The Sean Hannity Show. My name is Rose. Check out my podcast on Rose Unplugged, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Also Rumble. Uh, you can find uh, a lot of my interviews there, Rose Unplugged. And everything else is Rose Unplugged, roseunplugged.com. See how easy I make it for everybody? The Sean Hannity phone number is 1-800-941-SEAN. 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 We will be back right after this. Hey, welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Rose, and I hope that you'll check me out because I just started my own podcast. It's Rose Unplugged. You can check it out at Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and if you can leave a review somewhere, please do and share. That's the big thing. Share those interviews that I do. Also, my Facebook is not Facebook. Well, yeah, Facebook, but also my website is Rose Unplugged and and Rumble. Love Rumble. All right, we're going to try to get a phone call or two in. Let's start with Lisa in Georgia. Hey, Lisa. Hey, how you doing, Rose? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So you um, wanted so to talk gonna, about the... Wait, yeah, wait. go ahead. Go ahead. Now, I was just going to tell you, um, I'm a VA employee, so I guess everybody knows oh. by now that the VA director has sent out a memo that gave us all eight weeks to get yes. vaccinated. and. Uh, Title 38 employees, which are basically anybody who's healthcare related. I'm not a direct patient care person, but I fall under that category. So I've had COVID. Um, I had it last year. Um, make antibodies to it. I give blood regularly to Red Cross and they test you. Wow. So I'm, and I'm still making them. I just, just gave blood in May. So I don't, nobody wants to hear about that though. Um, you know, there's no discussion, no, the only option we were given would be uh, for religious reasons or for medical reasons. And you have to have it signed by your physician um, and your supervisor that you've declined it. And, you know, we've had declination options before for things like the flu. But 
Now, you know, it's, and, and if you if you do decline it, then you have to wear a mask and all this other stuff, which we have to do anyway. Now. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, here's the thing. First of all, I I really I read that, and all title Title Thirty Eight employees, so that are doctors, dentists, nurses, registered nurses, and I understand they have eight weeks in which to get the one or two shots to stay on. And I, you know, it's just, it makes me sad because you're right. They don't take into consideration all other factors. The fact that you are still presenting with antibodies and you will for a very long time and that you can actually help others, that you are no risk to others. And yet those who are vaccinated could still be a risk and we're finding that out right now. Right? So that's confusing. See, this is where we all get so very confused, Lisa. They're, they're just not, no, somebody's playing loose with a lot of facts and I, I, we need facts. So I am, I was so sorry to read that about the VA employees and being forced to get those um, jabs and, 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 and you know what, and other places where they have applied for um, the, let's see, uh, uh, exemption because of religious beliefs. Like you said, many have been denied that request. Lisa, I'm sorry you're going through that. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, coming up next, so much more. Um, I, You know, I love doing this show and I love spending time with you. Jack Hibbs is joining me next and I think you'll enjoy him. Hey, welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Rose. Make sure you check out my brand new podcast, Rose Unplugged. You can find it on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And as always, you can check me out at my website, Rose Unplugged. Facebook is Rose Unplugged. Everything is Rose Unplugged. And I love Rumble. That's been a great place, too, for me to share many of my interviews with you. Um, so much fun interacting with all of you. Love being on the show today. And one of my biggest requests was, can you please get me Pastor Jack Hibbs? Because I am a huge fan of his. I listen to his sermons all the time, even though I am an, on the exact opposite side of the country. I adore him. Uh, you have got to check him out. It's Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills in Southern California. Please welcome to the show, Pastor Jack Hibbs. How are you? Rose, thank you. I Boy, I tell you, that's one intimidating introduction, I'll tell you that. <laughs> You you know what? I just, there is just something about your sermons. And you know what I really like about you? And, and we'll get to this in a moment, but I like how you kind of meld together our faith and uh, politics, because really, they both have everything to do with the other. And, I, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I did want to tell you that I was in Southern California uh, last week, and we did a fundraiser. I belong I'm on the advisory board for Moms for America. And one of our dearest friends to the organization is John Voigt. So we had done a couple of fundraisers with him, a sem uh, an all-day seminar for moms in Southern California. And uh, I was so close. I almost made it to your church, but then something else came up. <laughs> so, But you know what I found out, Pastor Jack, is I discovered that, you know, sometimes when you're way over here on the East Coast, you think about those on the West Coast, and it's like, eh, I don't think they're conservative. I don't know if they know what's going on. And I got there, and I met such lovely beautiful, wonderfully conservative people and Christian people. And I was, I was so encouraged by that and by what I saw. Right. Well, listen, uh, this is going to come as a shock to many of your listeners, but California has been up against the ropes for such a long time that the nation, and I get it, have written us off. But California has hit such rock bottom for so long that it's that, that proverb we've all heard of that, you know, when you're on your back, there's no place to look but up. Right. And not only are conservatives saying that and waking up to it, but we've got many, and we know this is a fact, Rose, that in the, in the recall effort of Gavin Newsom, yes. we watched many Democrats 
uh, come to our church and fill out the petition. Many of them changed their party affiliation. Wow. I'm a, I'm a native-born Californian. We've never seen that before. But uh, what people need to realize is California is very red, except in the middle of these uh, metropolises, these, these city centrals of San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco. But look, Rose, in this last election of November 2020, what no one's talking about, the press is avoiding it, is California flipped four congressional seats from Democrat to Republican in this state on wow. that night in November of 2020. And when you look at the down-ballot results of our votes across the entire state, local governments and the like turned red. So that's why you're watching a never-before-seen recall effort set national records, over 2.3 million petitions signed, uh, and, and those, those numbers were then perfected or made uh, uh, agreeable, and that means they met every standard of 1.8 million. This was the largest recall effort in American history, and we are going to fire our governor, and we're going to be electing Good. a new governor on September 14th. Good. Good. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, you. <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the things I really like about you and when I listen to your sermons is that you are unafraid. You are unafraid to take on what's happening right now in this country. And I, and I noticed that you were able to really mix politics and religion. And some might say, wait a minute, one should have nothing to do with the other. But I say, not at all, because this country, this wonderful opportunity of a nation that we were given, was given to us by uh, on the foundation of godly principles, the belief that we are free, not because man told us we were free, but because God is the author of that freedom and God alone. Because if it were man, then it could be taken away from us, that freedom. And we've seen that in some of the blue states uh, after COVID. So what I liked about you is that you were unafraid to talk about both and you you aren't afraid to after what happened after the election and so many things that happened afterwards after we started to see that mainstream media and the social platforms were censoring people and silencing many of them even our own president silenced can you believe that so many people became fearful pastor jack they did they were afraid to stand up for what they believed in they were afraid there might be repercussions they might be branded or shamed and and i like that you do not back down and you haven't what message would you have for the audience today on how to stand on your beliefs on your convictions and not be afraid you know, Rosa, I'll answer it like this. Uh, being a native-born Californian, as I said a moment ago, we're accustomed to earthquakes, meaning we know that we're going to survive. We just need to build a strong foundation. The house can take it. And so having that in my bones and having been brought up in a, in a, uh, a, a home that, that loves America, uh, when I became a Christian and saw the authenticity and the value of the Bible, th that became my foundation to everything regarding my thought process, my hope, my faith. And then that caused me, Rose, to dive into reading American history. Yes. And when I read American history, I found out that our nation has forgotten its remarkable roots, starting with the, the Mayflower Compact. And when our founding fathers said that their founding fathers were the, the pilgrims, 
Jones. I began studying all of that. And so for me, to stand on truth, I know what it is to be an American. I know what it is to be a Christian. God in his wisdom, for whatever purpose, put me in this country. I'm grateful for that. And when you know the truth, then you get to be and you get to enjoy being uh, unwavering. It's not me. I have no personal strength. I hide or I stand upon the strength of God's Word. And so, yes, people will say, you're so brave, or you, you're speaking truth, and nobody's speaking it today. Listen, I'm only regurgitating the Bible. I'm standing on the foundation of it, and it speaks to the culture. And so we have a church that's exploding because people want to hear life-changing truth, and that's what's happening. And so when you've got the truth, you don't have to apologize. That is so true. And you know, and truth, you know, when you talk about truth, it's so essential too that we're teaching our children the truth about this country, the country's origins, why it was established, why it was established the way it was, why that First Amendment is the First Amendment. You know, when you read about the history of this country, you can't help but be just taken aback and, and so in awe of what these men gave up what they did for people they were never going to know but they did it because they knew it was the right thing they had lived under tyrannical rule they knew that they knew it was the right thing they they knew where they had come from so to speak as a culture they knew the tyranny of of the english crown and they began listen the the only reason why we had 13 colonies that began to think freedom and liberty is according to history, which says it was found among what has been referred to as the Black Robe Regiment. The Black Robe Regiment came from King George. He hated them. Well, who were they? They, they were the pastors of the colonial pulpits of America yes. from about 1720 to about 1770. Mm-hmm. These pulpits preached liberty and freedom, and some guy by the name of Sam Adams began to listen to them. And wow. Thomas Jefferson said, Sam Adams has the greatest understanding of personal liberty and freedom. And so everybody said, Sam, where'd you get this from? And he said, I got this from George Whitfield and from the pulpits. And yes. a lot of people don't know that. In fact, no, listen, I, I, I'm reading a book right now, and I want to encourage everybody to just look at the data. It's called Forged in Faith by Rod Craig. It's an amazing book. It covers American history from 1607 to 1776, and it's just a collection of our historical uh, conversations among our leaders, and you'll get to read them. Imagine this, Rose. You'll get to read history in their own words instead of having somebody oh, spin translate. it to you in some yeah. woke, progressive classroom. <laughs> Why don't you get the truth and, and read the writers, read the authors of it? You know, I like that, and I've made a note to make sure I check it out, Forged in Faith. And, you know, there's something else, too. When I think about the this country and some of the huge milestones or obstacles that we've had to overcome, oftentimes it it, it started with a spiritual awakening. We need to be honest about that, because you talked about right. the Black Robe Regiment. You know, they, you know, when it was time for uh, convincing others that it was absolutely necessary um, to uh, to for, to go to war, the Revolutionary War, in an effort for freedom, some of those... Uh, um, 
uh, uh, pastors would tear off their robes and underneath there was a uniform. So That's they right. were very much part of what was happening. But before that was our spiritual awakening, the great awakening, where people began right. to understand once again. And that's why I like bringing that in to anything I have to say about politics, anything I have to say about our constitution, our founding, is that that before that could happen, I think it was absolutely necessary that we had that spiritual awakening. And then you fast forward, even for women and um, for the um, right. slave, abolishing slavery, there was a second spiritual awakening. And what happened was um, a lot of the women in the North who were already working on abolishing slavery and doing their part um, after the platforms of the second spiritual awakening were made known to them and they were hearing about how all men were created equal and that was right. the basis and, and, and abol the, uh, abolishing slavery was part of that platform but the many of the women who were very instrumental in the suffrage movement were pers were influenced by those sermons uh, during the second spiritual awakening because they thought hey if all men are created equal, and I believe that, then I too am equal, and I should have a say in the process here, uh, the electoral process in this country. And that's how the suffrage movement began. There was always some sort of spiritual awakening that allowed people to move forward or to remember what their roots were. Right. And you know what you're describing is what's happening in California. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Oh, interesting. No, it doesn't. I, I've got to tell you right now. So the American political scene, I mean, the California political scene is changing, and you're going to be watching it on the news here pretty soon. Why? Well, during COVID, for example, our church has been open, and we have seen tens of thousands of people started coming to church on a Sunday. They're still coming. And in the last several months, we've baptized uh, 2,300 people, 2,400 people. Why? What's going on? People are waking up. Families during COVID saw their need for having a foundation strengthened or a foundation created in their lives. People who were contemplating suicide came to church and found life. Wow. What's going on? There's an awakening taking place in California, which shouldn't surprise us because Again, a lot of people don't realize that at the same time from 1765 to 1780 on the east coast of America, on the west coast of the United States, we had from 1772 to 1778, we had Father Sarah planting Catholic mission stations in the state of California to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. No other state in all of the Union has mission stations that were its birthright but California. And at the same time, God was working on the East Coast. God was working on the West Coast. Yes. And our roots are beginning to awaken. People are turning back to God. Young people. I Listen, we had a service here last night. A couple thousand people showed up. Who showed up? People 80 years old. I talked to a man by the name of Ed. He's 83 years old. And in the congregation, there were kids that were 11 years of age and everybody in between. You can't buy that. You can't make that happen. There's no church growth group that can pull that off. People are coming. We have no membership here. So people come out of their own desire. It's because California, God has waking it up, and we are excited about spiritual revival, which will affect the culture. And that's what we're watching. Yeah, I believe that. I, I can see that. And I, and I'm, I'm excited for California. And after having met, in fact, at one of the events I spoke at, uh, in Cal, and, and actually was in LA County, uh, there was a young bartender. He's 29 years old and he came up to me and he said, I, 
I, I agree with everything that's being said here tonight. I'm so concerned about socialism. And I said, how old are you? 29. And that gives me hope. So, I, and, and after having met the wonderful, beautiful people there in your state, I am very excited to hear you tell me this story. And I will keep watching you. And listen, can you just give out uh, information on how people can listen to your sermons online? It's very simple. They can go to jackhibbs.com. All of the messages, all of the video, all of the media is there. jackhibbs.com. Very simple. Oh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, thank you so much for joining me today. I was so excited to have you on. I really was. Rose, thank you for the opportunity. All right. We'll be back with more of The Sean Hannity Show and myself, Rose, right after this. more behind the scenes information more contacts than anybody more friends behind the curtain sean hannity is on on 710 wor again thanks to ethan katie and clay in new york and thank you to justin who is here with me here in the pittsburgh studios Hey, everybody, here's a heads up for you. You don't want to miss this. David, the socialist, if you've listened to me before on Hannity's show, you'll know that I've had a couple of run-ins with David. I personally uh, don't mind David, uh, but it is very insightful to hear what he has to say. He is calling in, and we'll, I'll take his phone call when I come back from this break. So <laughs> make sure you stand by for that. And I'll be taking your phone calls as well. That's what we'll do going out of the show. 1-800-941-SEAN. That's 1-800-941-SEAN. 1-800-941-SEAN. Check out my new podcast, Rose Unplugged. Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. You can also get it on roseunplugged.com. You can go to Rumble and look for Rose Unplugged. Just search channels and it's Rose Unplugged. Love being with you guys. So stay with me. David the Socialist is coming up and he's really happy right now. He's very happy because he says that our rights are already gone. Jesse Kelly next from 6 till 9 on 710 WOR. The new Sean Hannity Show, talking about what's right for America, with a renewed commitment to keep you up to date on the breaking news stories. Hey, welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. Thank you so much for staying with me this afternoon. Love doing his show, but even more than that, I love sharing the time with all of you. And before I get to all of your phone calls, let's go to David the socialist from Minnesota, Minnesota, David. Hey, David, how are you doing? Hey, Rose, I can say everything that I want in under 60 seconds. So you well, no, 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 you're, you're going to stay with me for a couple of minutes. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. That's fine. Because I so might want to say something earlier, too. Yes, ma'am. You, you mentioned earlier that uh, if you don't hold on to the rights that you have, that they're going to go away and they're not going to come back. And you're, you're correct. But I wanted to point out that those rights have been gone for some time now. And that started under a Republican president. Last year, when we shut down, hold on a sec. Last year, when we shut down your churches, your businesses, um, your schools, what what was the... What was what? 
What was the response from the Republicans? And other than just protesting and ranting and raving, they did nothing to affect any change. So at the end of the day, I think they if, did, if David. But I think they did. The day, Rose, if your actions don't achieve the goal, then your actions are basically meaningless. And I wanted to make a larger point with that. Okay, I can I? Can, you will remember your. Well, let me respond to that. Okay. Uh, right. What you said is is not entirely true. The Republicans and and you can see there was a great distinction between the blue states and the red states. The blue states were under tyrannical rule, while the red states wanted their people to live freely. Clearly, that was done. So it's kind of unfair that you would make a, a blanket statement like that. That's not true. And in addition to that, others, like even the pastor we had on, decided that they would make their own decisions and they would not be ruled by tyrants. So you're wrong about that, David. You're wrong. People continue to stand for what they believe in and to fight for what they believe in. So you, I think you kind of, which surprises me because I know you don't like to make blanket statements but i think it did right there go ahead now what's your next point okay you you just used an, uh, an, uh, an important word you said fight so the larger point i'm trying to make here is your side doesn't lack the ability or the fortitude to to do what it would take in order to affect the change of what's happening right now you know as much as you hold up the founding fathers the the racist colonizers as heroes and we understand mm-hmm. you you adore them but you also have to understand that we don't, and your documents don't mean anything to us. And at the end that. of the day, yep. you know, so at the end of the day, the victors get to write the rules, and, and, and they get to write the history, and we're running And you're excited. Now. I mean, and congratulations so, to you, David, because, you know, you're seeing that world that you want so desperately. Let me ask you something. Did you ever live in a socialist country? I'm just curious. No, sure have. No. Why not? Never Would you move? Listen, if you... If your I've agenda, visited plenty. Visited if, plenty. you visited plenty, and and you're okay with the oppression that the people in those countries are suffering, you're okay with that. I don't. You you call it oppression, and I call it a way of life. There, you know what? Most of those people were dirt poor, but you know what? I I took away from all the ones that I met that they were happy. They were happy oh. as long as they had something to eat. As long as they had a, oh. they were there with their families. They as, they, as long as they had crumbs, right? But they were happy with what they had. Right. Okay. And where has socialism really worked? Because you're saying they're happy there, but yet look at Cuba. Uh, look at Cuba. They are. They want desperately to get out from under. We won't even let them in, unfortunately. But look at them. Are they really happy if they want desperately to get out of that country? Do you have a radio on? Sometimes you, we go through this, you and I. You need to turn the radio off because I can hear myself. Okay, there we go. Oh, he hung up? He hung up? Oh, come on. He gave up that easily? That easily? Dang. Where's the fun in that? (laughs) (laughs) Doggone it. Oh, he just wasn't any fun this time around. Darn it. Okay, so that's okay. That's all right. Let's go to Alan in Florida. Hey, Alan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing fine, Rose. I've enjoyed your show today um, and always enjoyed Sean. I'm glad you're sitting in for him. Uh, and I just want two quick comments, and I want to ha- ask you a question. First comment is on Dr. Tyson, the ER doctor. He's absolutely 100% correct on everything he stated to you about COVID and the vaccine and uh, all of that. I follow that daily. I'm a semi-retired radiologist. I've been in practice oh, wow. for uh, almost 40 years. I'm in Florida, and uh, since I'm semi-retired, I spend almost uh, 
three hours a day studying all the current data as it comes out, and we're just being lied to, basically. I hate to say that, but we are by the bureaucrats. Uh, the other thing is your, your lady that called from the VA, she needs to be aware that Dr. Matt Staver of Liberty Council is actually filing a lawsuit against mm-hmm. the vaccine mandate with VA. Um, so hopefully she will be aware of that. I've had Matt Staver on my show. He's a he's a good guy, and he's you know he's very concerned about your rights and uh, those employees' rights at the at the VA as well. He's a good guy. He's a stand up guy. Yeah. Well, I think this is just a step uh, towards having everyone. And I had COVID last August, and uh, and as a physician, we did not have enough information out about ivermectin at that time for sure, but we did right. about HCQ. Uh, I was cured with HCQ, but it was on day nine, and fortunately I had no pulmonary problems or comorbidities. But I can tell you that um, my question actually is a little different from that topic, um, even though I'm versed in it, is about the XL pipeline and energy independence. I'm not really certain why. Uh, the governors or attorneys general of the various states where the pipeline was being constructed even followed the executive order of President Biden because this went through years of analysis and uh, was okayed by the EPA and the Supreme Court of the United States. And it was all legal, and only the legislature can vote, I would think, against something to overturn something like that. I don't think a presidential order could affect that. Now, obviously it has, and I'm not saying right. that the attorneys general aren't smart, but I don't understand why they didn't stand up and just say, hey, you know what, we're going to continue doing this. It was approved even by the SCOTUS, and we're going to do it. We're going to keep energy independence because your executive order is going to destroy the energy independence that was finally achieved over the last four years prior. And I think that also applies to the southern border. You know, they're, they're, of course, they're acting now. I mean, Governor DeSantis of our state is joining in with uh, Governor Abbott and, uh, you know, law enforcement, and they're trying to help protect or do what they can down there. But when the federal government ignores basic liberties and well-being of people in the states that they're responsible for, it seems to me the states have the perfect right to intervene and intervene early, and, you know, they're a little late doing it, and it's incomplete, obviously, but I, I don't really quite understand the superiority of an, exec- of an executive order by a, what I consider, a rogue administration. <laughs> well, to, but uh, that's, the, that's the power that he has, unfortunately. I understand your point, and I appreciate it very much, Alan, and thank you for calling from the great free state of Florida. Let's jump to another great state, Texas. Shelly's on the line there. Hey, can you hear me? Hi. Yes. Hi. Yeah, I'm glad I got through. I just want to speak on the guy that just hung up, the crazy socialist guy. Yeah, Uh, I'm surprised he hung up. Yeah, and everyone else who just keeps trying to bag and just pit us all against each other. I am an African-American woman living here in Texas, been here my whole life, grew up uh, with welfare in the project, you know, came from the bottom living a great life under President Trump. I tell people all the time I make the most money I've ever made Good. 20 years in working. Good. And I used to be a, a dumb dumb Democrat, too. I was just calling that. <laughs> you know, and I, that was my default. You know, my parents and everyone. So now it's to the point where I'm, the, I'm ostracized in my family, you know. 
And it's crazy now because the last few months, everything I said, you know, the conspiracy theory, quotation mark, they called yes. me all the time tonight. Hey, can you send me this? What did you say about that? What happened to this? You know, and it's like, I just brushed my knuckles, you know, like, yeah, we're going to have a I told you so party in a couple of months. <laughs> well, listen, I am impressed and I appreciate the call. And I think that David, the socialist, I'm guessing, because I'm surprised, usually he'll go with me for a while. And uh, we've had long conversations in the past, but I don't think at this point there's much more he could say. Uh, thank you, Shelley. You know, unfortunately, yes, David is right. Um, many of our rights have been taken away, or, or at least there's an effort uh, by many to do so. There is certainly an effort to silence us and to make us fearful to be who we are because of labels or shaming. And, and that's unfortunate. And that certainly was not the intent of our founding fathers. And say what he will about them, what they did when they established this country, what they gave us was brilliant. It was something that no one else has ever experienced. Not at all like we have. It was a wonderful opportunity. It was a window of opportunity. They recognized it. They seized it. And they did all that they could do for you and I. And we have had over 240 years of freedom. I'll tell you something. I will always be grateful for them. Yes, they had their foibles. Yes, there were things that we could pick apart. But what they did, they did for the future of this country. They did for people they didn't know. So what we do, what we do by staying in the, the, in the game, what we do by making sure that we connect on the school board level, that we connect in our communities, that we connect statewide and nationwide, what we do then is for future generations, every bit as much as it was what they did for future generations. We must. There is no choice here. And when we do it, we do it by affecting change. We do it smart. We do it quickly because time is of the essence at the moment. I'm sure you know that. But what we do, we do smartly. We get, I can see all across this country that there are moms and dads getting involved in their school's curriculum. There are moms and dads who are running for the school board positions. There are moms and dads who are running for Congress or state level positions. People are getting involved. I want to encourage you out there that everywhere I go and I travel a lot, what I see are people who said, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm awake. I'm present. I'm going to get something done. I am committed to doing everything I can do to make the wrongs right. And that's what we have to continue to do. That is what we are called on to do. You know, before when I was uh, doing my monologue, I referenced Thomas Paine. Well, well, let me, let me tell you the rest of what Thomas Paine had to say. Because you know, you and I, we're not alone in our desire to leave for those that we love the most, this inheritance of freedom. It's not a time to be discouraged. Frustrated? Yeah, I understand frustration. Concerned? Absolutely, because without concern, we would not be searching for solutions. But discouragement? No, not discouragement. We're going to go through this together. We will stand together and we've got to commit to continue this journey together for the sake 
of those who come after us. So here are those words of Thomas Paine's that I referenced. These are the times that try men's souls. No doubt about it. The summer soldier, the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. And tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. And what we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. And heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. Torpedoes of truth at a wall of lies. This is the Sean Hannity Show on 710 WOR. Jesse Kelly, next from 6 till 9 on 710 WOR. Hey, y'all, do me a favor. Go to Rumble and Rose Unplugged and subscribe. I'd really appreciate that. And if you go to my other social media platforms like me there, and don't forget my podcast, Rose Unplugged, everywhere you can get a podcast, roseunplugged.com also. Real quick, we are going to take Mo from North Carolina. Go ahead, Mo. Hi, Rose. Uh, great program, and thank you for taking the call. I'm a Cuban-American that came here uh, in 1962 and uh, just called because my blood boiled uh, from your uh, great socialist person there that called. Yes. Uh, what an ignorant. Uh, he's uh, what they call the useful idiot. And uh, I, I could tell you that most people, if you would poll in Cuba, are not happy with their current situation Okay, we lost it all. We uh, were uh, in hunger for over a year and a half before we got the freedom flight out. And uh, there's nothing fun about communism. And that's all I've got to say. Oh, honey, thank you. That was perfectly said. I appreciate it. And thank you for that. And here, this administration is not allowing any Cubans to find asylum here. What a shame. I love you guys. I loved being with you. Just please remember me, Rose Unplugged. Uh, how could you forget, though, right? My podcast is Rose Unplugged, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcast, where you can give me a review. Please do. And share. Share what I've got out there. I appreciate that. And Rumble. Go there and subscribe to my channel, Rose Unplugged. Hope to be with you again soon. I have no doubt that I will be. And it's always a lot of fun. And you guys are great. You really are. God save this country. And God bless this country.